Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks for joining. Those of you who are here with me live, thanks for joining. We have a group of um, students from the boot camp that are here. And uh, Floyd, thank you so much for, for being here. We're actually looking at Floyd's screen right now. Uh, and uh, Floyd Billingy, did I screw it up? Yep. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm like, you know I'm what? Done. Are you are you good with names or are you horrible with names? I'm ter- absolutely terrible. Uh, I, someone could tell me their name and then like 10 minutes later, I'm like, oh, I've forgotten it. I know, right? I just, I saw a neighbor down the street. I know the neighbor. I've been to parties with the neighbor and I'm like, Kristen. And she did turn around, <laughs> Kristen. And then uh, I got her attention and then my wife's like, her name's Kelly. Oh, yeah. It's like, horrible. Oh, my God. I'm so horrible with these things. But think in your stomach like, yes oh, it is i'm embarrassed so last <laughs> night i'm like going i'm going to sleep you know next time i see her, her name, yeah I'm yeah like that <laughs> so my friend tell me um let's get a little introduction to you and to what you do um okay. besides you know obviously create amazing artwork um wh- where do you work in now um so at the moment i'm working at axis in glasgow mm-hmm. um i'm working on cinematics uh, mostly for games uh, some stuff for tv um, it's a bit of a change of pace from what I was doing previously at like Splash Damage and stuff, which was, mm-hmm. uh, and any, anywhere else I've worked, which has been predominantly um, games, in-game, real-time stuff. Yeah. Um, I just thought it would be a nice change of pace. Uh, I enjoyed making games and, and the whole dev cycle. Um, just I just thought sometimes things go on for like two years or longer. It might be nice to just get into a bit of a situation where I'm on shorter projects um, and there's a quicker turnaround on things. So I thought I would give cinematics a try and see who in the UK was available to be able to do that with. Um, so yeah, I moved up to Scotland, been working at Axis, uh, really enjoying it. It's a, it's a great place to work. That's great. So is that a, are, are, they're not working with their own properties, but they're kind of hired to do cinematics? Yeah, so we do cinematics for i mean we have the studio has done i say we this was i was there yeah. has done uh, their own vr cinematic i suppose you would call it um called the bond which everyone could check out uh, yeah. which is um so they do do in downtime their own ips um but mostly yes guns for hire for cinematics for other studios in the same way that i guess like blur does things people like that totally uh what got you into this or how, how long have you been in this you're on Gears of War. We see that. So, you know, you're, you're old hat to some extent, but how, how long have you been here? Yeah. Um, I feel old. Uh, <laughs> when until, I, you tell me, until I tell you how old I am. <laughs> <I'm so young. laughs> I left university. Uh, I think I've been in it maybe seven or seven and a half years now, which is yeah. crazy back like that. Um, yeah. Uh, it's the only thing I've ever really wanted to do. Um, so, yeah, I guess that we're quite lucky in being gamers that there's this thing that we can do um, and you can just continue playing and making games for like the rest mm-hmm. of your life. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It was quite natural. Um, I always wanted to do this. In what capacity? I had I had no idea as a child, I guess, um, in playing games. I just always knew that I wanted to be involved in how they're made, um, whether that be storytelling or, or 
doing environment art or whatever, I really found doing this at university um, where my course was structured in a way that I, that we all had to do a little bit of animation, a little bit of, um, a little bit of 3D. Uh, and I just enjoyed this the most. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just pushed this and in your last year, you could kind of, um, the word, uh, you could just choose to do one thing. So right. in the first few years, we did a bunch of different things. And then in the last year, you could just choose to do the one thing and then push it and make like a, a cinematic or an in-game level or something like that. Um, so that was where I decided that I wanted an environment. And from then that's all I wanted to do. So I've done that in my, um, I guess it means that I have, unfortunately, I have no characters in my portfolio that I could ever call mine. And, mm -hmm. um, the VFX that I've done, I guess, in things and some of the, the effects I've done in my personal in my personal scenes are really there just to support my environment artwork. Um, and I've never really finessed any VFX or anything like that in my in my shots. But um, yeah, it means that I've been able to push environment art um, to a level where I'm I'm more confident in my own skills because I've not really I've not really had the noise of wanting to do everything else. If you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. No. I I think that's an important lesson. I mean arguably you'd go down as saying focus is, is a big part of your success. Yes. Um, yeah, I've never, yeah, I've, I've just never had the want to do any of the other things. So I've, ne I've never had that noise in my head um, for, oh, maybe this time I should try doing this thing or this time I should try doing this other complete discipline. I've just focused on environment art. Yeah. Um, but I would say environment art is probably one of the most dynamic areas right now. I mean, it, for, for at least the last like eight plus years, it's changed so much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, and I, I suppose character art also, there's a lot of techniques that go hand in hand with, mm -hmm. um, you can do more in environments now, like way more, uh, yeah. real time. I, I know some cinematic companies, are looking towards real time and things like unreal, um, over the pre-rendered workflow, or at least to integrate it into part of the pre-rendered workflow mm -hmm. to just speed things up. Um, because it's, uh, I guess it's the main thing, the main pain working in a, in a, uh, offline rendering um, pipeline is that you have to hit render and then wait. Uh, and sometimes to see the results of something that you're making can take, I don't know, you might be sat there for about half an hour twiddling your thumbs before you realize that something's wrong and then you've got to re-render it again. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, for the first for the first few months, that was my that was my biggest pain, especially as yeah, in real time stuff, you just like slap textures on, edit them a little bit, press save, and then boom, come back up in Unreal or Marmoset or whatever real time program it is you use to view your view your work. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's come along loads, like you say. Yeah, and when you started, was Substance a big deal? It was becoming a big deal. Um, I remember in my interview for Splash Damage, uh, the guys had asked me how much I'd had a look at it. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the pieces that I'd made in anticipation of going out to try and get another job was for the uh, substance competition. Um, I can't remember what it was called. I think it was called the Throne Room one, this one here. Um, so I'd made this using, I, it's, I say very early substance, but it says here substance designer five. So there were at least five along in iterations, but it was, it was just becoming a big thing for game production. Mm -hmm. Um, it was four years ago, geez. Uh, so I dabbled in it then that was the first time that I'd started using it. Um, and the guys there in my interview had asked me a lot about it and that, what I thought about it and how we could integrate it into our pipeline. And pretty much from then on. We started using Substance when I got in there and never turned back. That's awesome. Um, what uh, is is it still a big part? Or let's just stay within your real time world, and then we'll get the cinematics. Within yeah. the real time world, is Substance Designer still like a really big part of it? Did you ever shift to Substance Painter? Um, so I'd own the only time I ever used Substance Designer was on that piece, got and it. then 
outside of that, it was all painter. Um, so we spent a lot of time still sculpting things in ZBrush, in mm -hmm. uh, for even for like tiling textures and stuff. Yeah. Um, mostly because we didn't have the need to do what designer does best, which is allow you to make a brick wall and then you can like just change the pattern and then you've got a different type of brick wall. We didn't right. have so much of a need for that. Um, so we were just making really bespoke things, really bespoke tiling textures, or we were sculpting really bespoke like hero props for a map. Just because of the the nature of the beast of the maps that we were making at the time just meant that we just had we, we had to make the more bespoke things. Um, so we never had much of a need for designer. So we just went down the painter route for pretty much everything. Um, and I've never, as much as I say I would love to, I've never really gotten back into it. Um, it's something that I always sit, sit there and say, next project, I'm going to start doing some designer stuff. And I, I've right. just never. Yeah, we had an interview with um, somebody that was on the substance team that talked about the percentages of, you know, how much was what. And it's like, if I remember correctly, painter was like 70% of the market. Right. You know? So designer, and this is a while ago, so designer is a smaller part of it, but painter is their beast. And that was of course before Alchemist stuff that comes up now. Right. Um, but that's interesting to, to hear that that's your focus because when we look at the software that's out there, like in here, I'm speaking to people that are starting and they're trying to figure out what do I do? How, what do I create? Um, we tend to focus on software. We tend to be like, okay, so I got to learn substance. I got to learn ZBrush. I got to learn designer. I got to learn, you know, all of these things. What advice do you give to people? Like when, when they say, you know, what do I have to do to get a job? What do you think yeah. they have to do? Um, there's a core set of, uh, programs that you want to know. I have worked at studios where, um, although I've never really say that I've never worked anywhere that's had, that's used anything outside of Max or Maya. Um, so that's always been either one of those has always been the main model in software. Uh, the place I'm where I am now, other people do use other things. Um, and that's, they've been integrated somewhat into the pipeline. Um, but I've never been anywhere that said you have to use this one software to model in as long as you get an end result. Most places will have like a pipeline. That means that you need to export out of one software, mm -hmm. um, modeling at least. So you'll at least need to know how to get things in and out of that software. It makes things easier if people relatively the same software. but for modeling Max or Maya generally, um, substance for texturing either or substance painter for sure um substance designer if you're if, if you feel like you what you want to do is make tiling material tiling textures mm -hmm. um some really crazy material tricks um if you if you feel like you can do that quicker than modeling these things then by all means i don't think anyone would ever stop you from doing it but sub both substances are, are good to have a base knowledge in um and i guess a base knowledge of photoshop uh that's only really to help things that maybe to tweak after substance i suppose i rarely use photoshop at work yeah. um and then yeah i guess whatever if you're looking to get into games whatever real-time package any real-time package i suppose just so you can understand the fundamentals um unreal's free i guess so that's a great place to start so is uni um i've predominantly worked in unreal studios um, but generally for things like that they'll give you the time when you get there to learn how to use not everyone should have to know. got it and i'm, I'm looking through your portfolio and you've got like you're, you've got some Netflix, yeah, um, bunch of stuff. Is this all at Axis or are you the, freelance? The Netflix was a random one. Yeah, that was that's like the one freelance thing that I've ever done, um, which was quite cool. I had some downtime at work, and they just messaged me out of nowhere, uh, and I couldn't say no to that. Yeah, right. That was fun. That was fun work. Yeah, um, I just made the the tower, um, so the whole exterior for that tower. It was a fairly big job. Um, but the the fun of it kept me going through that. Um, so I just came home from work and smashed that out for a few for a few days. Awesome. Uh, but the rest of the stuff's all all axis or splash damage or just my own my own stuff. The um, Magic the Gathering 
War of the yeah, Spark. That's the Axis. Um, mm. So that's the first project that I that was released since I've been working there. Um, that was great fun. It's an amazing video as well. Uh, yeah, if yeah. anyone has the time, you should watch it. Yeah, I've seen that. I love that. Amazing. It's just so well done. When you're working on a project like that, like uh, what part do you play in that? And I, you know, some of this you may not be able to tell me, but like how large is the team? And you know, if, what I'm really looking for is like it's easy for people when they look at this art, they're just like, oh my god, it's so amazing. Um, you know, you did all this stuff, but you know, there's a team behind this, right? Yes. Uh, well, Can as you describe always, that? Yeah. So there's a yeah. I mean the the way that things work at Axis, it's hard to say exactly how many people are sure. on a project at any given time because there might be days when I don't know things are looking a bit bleak on one area, so we'll like pull in some a bunch of guys from another area. So the the number I guess can inflate. There's always yeah. a a more core team. Um, I'd say artist wise on this six or seven. I could be very wrong there, but in mm -hmm. terms of like environment artists and asset artists. Um, there are some offsite guys, which is something that they do as well. Uh, and a lot of cinematic companies, um, like games companies tend to just outsource to studios in different places. Um, whereas, uh, yeah, we tend to just like have a few outsource guys that we bring back often. Um, and they can make props or, or assets or whatever. And then we tend to do like the, the more core environment stuff. Um, so a lot of the world building and some of the larger environment set pieces or um, just making sure that the, the world building sorted. Um, so in this, I personally did quite a few of the architectural elements that you can see in these, in these images. So this section back here, these mm -hmm. pillars, um, it's another person's responsibility to help get them all into scene um so you can work quite isolated at times it's good not to it's nice that we all sit next to each other so we can all look at things um we can all talk about things or review things um but generally it's a it's a it's a good few people working on something i think i'd say for most of these shots it's like four artists working together although i tried to pick the shots where i had most of the work in it mm -hmm. just so that it's better to show that in your portfolio um it's easier to describe um but yeah there's it's a it's a good group effort for sure. And are these, are you compositing these in Unreal still, or when you get into cinematics, are you guys shifting over to Maya or Max? Or uh, so these were Houdini, um, I can't oh. remember which render. Wait, the um, whole thing, the animation, everything in Houdini? No, 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 no. The animation and stuff's all done in Maya and then everything's brought in and rendered through Houdini. Well, building's all done in Houdini as well. That's uh, okay. Uh, do you model in Houdini? No, I model in Maya. Um, I do the world building and bringing the scene together is all done in Houdini. I'm, I'm modeling Maya. Other people okay. model in Modo or Blender and some mm -hmm. other programs um, and bring it all together here. Our pipeline is mostly um, geared towards Maya uh, and all of our exporters and, and things like that are all done in Maya. So you need, you need a, a base knowledge of Maya to get everything out in the end. Okay, but it comes in and it's almost like Houdini is your Unreal. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, that's the, the studio's pipeline. Okay, got it. Um, and I'm imagining that's where you, a lot of, because there's a lot of debris, there's a lot of like set dressing. You know, if you were doing a real-time environment, this is like dressed. Yeah, yeah. So I guess a lot of this stuff wouldn't, it might exist, I suppose. It depends on the level. It's really hard to say whether things would or wouldn't exist. I guess uh, there would be more repetition in things if it was in-game. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe less of the super small-scale stuff. Um, but then I, if you play games like Wolfenstein, there's tons of debris everywhere. So it just depends on how things are optimized. I suppose the debris wouldn't be as high fidelity if it's in-game. Um, right. But this is all pre-rendered, so there's just scattering everywhere. <laughs> yeah, got it. All right, so 
Um, as I'm looking at your work, one of the things, especially for an environment artist, I think, I mean, number one, what is an environment artist? Multiple layers. Mm -hmm. Is that um, is there a definition that you have for like what an environment artist does or what you how you classify no, yourself? Uh, I've worked at places where um, as an environment artist, all I did was world building. Um, mm -hmm. I've worked in places where as an environment artist, I got to do some assets too. Um, where I am now, uh, I do a bit of everything that is in the environment. Um, so yeah, individual assets, scattering, learning anything new that helps really to push the environment. They even do, you might find guys uh, access that do lighting and uh, environment guys that do compositing. So it's good to know a, a few different things, but in games for sure, um, it generally means, yeah, uh, an asset or an asset artist or a world builder, um, or you, maybe you do both. And then is there some, uh, what I'm noticing here is you're, it's, there's, a, there's rock and there's metal. Um, not a lot of foliage. I see one foliage. Do yes. you find that the industry kind of segregates in that way, or do you find that people, you know, you have to be able to do? Yeah, for foliage, for sure. Um, you tend to be, you tend to find guys that do foliage are or see themselves as like quote unquote foliage artists. Um, yeah. or some the studio might get someone in that does foliage particularly well. Mm -hmm. um, I just happen to have not worked on any games that have a lot of foliage. Gears of War has like no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, why that is, I, I'm not too. I guess everything's about metal and to be hard and grungy and concrete. Um, so there's not much room for leaves and stuff in there. I actually did that one foliage piece in my portfolio because I was like, I'm doing no foliage ever. So it would be cool to do something someday. Um, which is what I tend to do with a lot of my personal portfolio pieces is just mm -hmm. do something to what I'm doing at work. I find it helps me get through that. If I just do the same thing as what I'm doing at work, then I'll just my brain will turn off it very easily. You know, it's a good point. Actually, I was just in a interview. Somebody was interviewing me, and we were talking about, you know, how in the beginning we're we can be kind of well. The way I phrase it was, we're very transactional. It's like I'm going to put together a foliage scene. I'm going to put together a, a temple jungle scene. I'm going to put together a um, underground jungle or dungeon scene, right? And because we're trying to create a portfolio that's going to help us get a job. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but I'm looking at this and I, I mean, the breadth of your work and what do you do to kind of keep yourself motivated and keep yourself creating? Cause you know, you've got a lot of cool stuff here, the science, atrium, cryogenics, um, well, world. firstly, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, I, I was trying to think about this today and, um, mostly it's, I just stop doing something if I find it unenjoyable. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have a lot of dead projects, uh, and I've tried to work now in a way where I'll just do the things that excite me. And then I, by the time I've got enough of the things that excite me done, uh, I should have something that's far enough along that I tell myself, you can't not finish it. <laughs> it's at like 75 to 80% done. You may as well finish it. Um, so uh, yeah, I've got a lot of dead projects um, which never made it anywhere because I got really bored with them. And I just think, I just think as soon as you get bored, just kill it and find something that interests you. Life's too short to be doing projects that you're not enjoying. Just, mm -hmm. just kill them and find something else. Maybe just take a few days and look around the, the outside when you're walking around and see what piques your interest and give that a go. But I generally, yeah, um, I just do the stuff that I enjoy at the start and then hope that that carries me through the project. Are you surprised that, you know, Especially, uh, I notice this as I get older. I don't know if this, if you notice as you get older, but are you surprised that you're like you're able to keep doing this and make a living, and somebody's paying you for this <laughs> every day, man? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, sometimes just... I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> this is real yeah. life. 
<laughs> yeah. A lot of people will ask, like, you know, am I too old for this, right? And I love it when I get somebody who says, you know, am I too old for this? And they're like 28. Right. And yeah. And, and I'm yeah. like, and I, and I, like, I just had this interview, and the guy, so back in 2004, you were, and I'm like, no, it wasn't 2004. <laughs> Don't say that out loud. What the hell, right? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. 2004, you joined Pixelogic, and I'm like, was it that long ago? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, no, I don't. I don't think as long as you are willing to keep up with programs and the the progress of the of the discipline and you keep your art fresh and you keep you have you still have an interest and a thirst in the discipline mm -hmm. right then what does age matter really it's one of those it's one of these ageless jobs right i could be as long as my brain still works i should be able to keep doing this as long as i still have a thirst for wanting to do it i mean uh, I, my body could run down and as long as i can click my mouse <laughs> then mm -hmm. then i'm going to keep doing it right there are guys i mean i've worked at places where there are guys that are um that are young that don't that aren't really into it and you can tell they're not really into it and I just think, why, why are you doing this? And then you get some guys that are a lot, a lot older that are super into it. And you're like, yeah, this is, this is for you. It doesn't really matter how old. You are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, you mentioned staying up to date on it because stuff does change, right? The last seven years. And then, you know, I joined Pixelogic 2004. Thank you, Alex, for reminding me. And, um, <laughs> you know, that changed so much right there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we're due actually for another change, I think, because there was there was ZBrush, then there was Substance. Like, I don't know what's up next, but do you have a sense of like any change in what's kind of happening or coming up or something we should focus on? Um, I guess I see the the thing that I see mostly being used more in, especially cinematics, is the scans. Yeah. Um, we use um, dependent on the project, I suppose, and what licenses we have for things. But um, yeah, a lot a lot of scans. Um. Especially for things like um, like large rock pieces or mm -hmm. things like that, um, that would take just seem too long to sit there and try and to try and sculpt to get to the definition that you for something really realistic. Right. Game is not always so necessary because you're going for that game aesthetic a lot of the time, right? There aren't so many games that are trying to hit like ultra realism. Um, just because to some degree it isn't possible in real time running at 60 frames per second on everyone's computers, but also because right. games. In a lot of games, there are so many stylistic choices, decisions coming from art directors or, or people, and you want to, you, you don't want to go for that that super realistic aesthetic. So it's not it's not used so much. I guess it will be more. I think on Battlefront was it? It's uh, scans we use loads. Um, so I do see that being used more and more, um, and maybe more higher quality versions of those um, being integrated into pipelines for sure. Do you find um, that that's actually where people are bringing their own? scan team on like somebody should learn photogrammetry or are we talking about like mega scans and and using platform i've heard both sides of it. yeah uh mega scans is just a that's like the go-to yeah. um there are i know if if there are people in the studio that have a, a thirst for scanning um they get pointed at very early uh so it's a good thing to, to want to do especially in a cinematic studio i think is it and and more and more increasingly i, I suppose games so if, if you're into games it's also a good thing to look at um mm -hmm. i think focusing on that strictly um and not focusing on some of the fundamentals of creating your own game art um is probably not the best idea especially as you're starting out but having to look at it and trying to get used to it trying to work it out and get a workflow going is definitely a good idea fair enough so don't don't just make your portfolio about scans no, I wouldn't say so. There are only, especially if you're if you're uh, if you're trying to get hired off the bat, um, you're limiting your the amount of people who are going to hire you massively at that point. Yeah, um, totally. 
trying to get hired out of any college or university or course, um, you want to try and widen the net as much as possible, I, I would say personally. Okay, and that brings up the question of aesthetics, you know, and one of the things I, I like to recommend to people is um, when you're creating a portfolio, you should know where you want to work because, you know, you don't want to show up to Blizzard with a naughty dog portfolio, mm -hmm. apples and oranges. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's some overlap. But like if I'm looking here at your the, the book of uh, Tyrell, the Corrupted, uh, this is a project you did for yourself, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. It's this beautiful, like it's stylized, but it's actually realistic. And then it's lit. You got the blue on one side and you got the candlelight on the other. So um, the aesthetic, talk to me about the aesthetic and like what you do to kind of really develop your your capacity. There. Um, so I'm trying to think of when I did. It says three years ago, but a year is a, a long time. Um, yes. Let me just look at where. <laughs> so I guess this would have been around. Good. Um, I can say that I wasn't doing this for the attention of Blizzard, but I think maybe I was. Who knows? Mm -hmm. um, um, I think, yeah, it's always good to try and do something that interests you. Um, and I think I'd seen some of the Diablo cinematics at the time uh, and just thought that they looked awesome. And I wanted to try and create that level of detail and, and get that aesthetic working in their cinematics in something that was real time. Mm -hmm. um, so I just that was just a, a decision that I made to do and to try that. And it's something that, again, that I wasn't doing at work at all. Um, the way that this looks is nothing like how Gears of War looks, although there is a lot of metal there um, in terms of the thickness of the of the metals and the finish on them. It's not as Gears as I guess Gears is. Um, so I was just trying to do something. Different. You build this in substance? Yes. No, um, uh, let me remember. Let me remember. I think it says here, yeah, so you could learn substance painter. Yes, it was modeled. Yeah, 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 yeah. I textured it all in substance painter, yeah. Okay. It was more, uh, as, as you see it, the high poly looks like this. Okay. And then, just, and then did you export to like Marmoset or Unreal? Do you remember? I think this was in Marmo. Yeah. Okay. Do you find it's important for people to know Unreal per se in this industry or Marmoset okay? Yeah, I try now to just do things uh, in Unreal because I, I know that you can make things look much better in Marmoset. <laughs> yes. And, and now, especially with like the GI and stuff like that in Marmoset. Yeah. Um, like at the time that I did that book, Marmoset probably looked very similar to what you could get out of Unreal, present day Unreal. Yeah. Um, but now I try to just, if I'm making a scene especially, um, I'll just do it in Unreal. Uh, and maybe that's also because I know how, uh, from working in Unreal for so long, I just know how to get the result that I want. Um, yeah. It's just easier. But I, I wouldn't say anyone, I wouldn't say a, a, a potential hirer would sit there and say, this is not in Unreal, this is in Marmoset, that's probably not what it would look like in-game um, because it is a real-time engine. Okay, good. That's exactly where I was going because Unreal is not without its kind of intellectual overhead, right? Creating <laughs> scalers on each one of your texture maps and dealing with SRGB and all that stuff. It can, yeah. be, a bit, it can be a bit, you know, of a headache. Yes, the the node workflow for materials, um, I think it's, oh, I've got to change that, right? And just have like a material set up that where you just like, press a button and it imports the textures and it looks like a it looks like how marmoset has it instead of having to create nodes for things um yeah. but at this point in my mind that's as easy as doing it in marmoset so that doesn't concern me but i know there was a time when looking at that was like whoa why do i not why is this not just got like a regular interface mm -hmm. um but yeah i guess i'm at a position now where that doesn't concern me but i do i do understand that it would and i don't think any hirer would look at someone that uses something uses marmoset and say oh they're not using unreal there got it now um if we look at your temple the lost uh the mana temple this one um, yeah 
Yeah. Uh, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of that, for those who are here watching this live, but uh, you know, we'll we'll talk. Um, at the bottom of it, there's all the there's your kit. Yeah. Modularity is obviously it's very important for environment arts, but uh, you know, I've interviewed lots of people, and some people will do the modularity. Some people would be like, I just kind of just kind of built it. You know, all as a one off. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, was was this when you build something like this? Are you literally building your kit first and assembling it, or how do you how do you talk to me about your process? Um, so yeah, for this one uh, in particular, I suppose uh, it was the concept lent itself to working modularly anyway. Mm. Um, but in working at Splash Damage on Gears of War, modularity and because we worked with uh, on our maps, we worked with a large kit base um, of different things and then we use that kit base to make maps and then we worked out how we could make those maps different and then we made those things to make that map different but mm -hmm. at its core we use a kit and that has been ingrained into my mind um, and now when i see a, con a piece of concept art or i wish i could bring it up now oh i do um so if you see this concept mm -hmm. as soon as i saw it i was thinking okay i can make this in like seven parts or eight parts or how many however many were there and I know that I can make those parts look as good as I can make them look in the time frame that I have. Um, so from that moment on, I was in love with the piece and I said, I'll just get the block out done for this. I can see the different bits that I'm going to work on. There'll be like this spire here, this section of the door, then all of these windows and modular pieces and then these pillars and blah, blah, blah. And it just worked well for the competition because in a time scale, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I just got the block out done and then you can, I quite like work. Sorry, I quite like working like this where uh, you'll have a block out for something and then you can see the individual assets and then you just break those individual assets on off and then work on them in isolation. Um, I'll do one as like the benchmark piece. Sometimes that's a material as well. So, uh, so I think I did one of these materials first, maybe this brick section, just to try and get a feel for what I want the scene to look like material wise. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll just work on the pieces in isolation, one after the other, and just keep popping them into the scene. And then every day, I'll, or every day I've, I've worked on it to, a, yeah. to a, a level, I'll just take a screenshot of it and I'll just look over it, see where I want to go next. When you're working on them in isolation or, or as the materials, are you? is that still painter, no designer? Yeah, these guys were all painter as well. I, I, wow. Yeah, I made those in Maya and then uh, sculpted them all and then textured them. Okay, awesome. Um, so the modularity, I understand there's a... Um, I love the, I think, kitbashing.com. It's actually run by a couple of really cool guys. Um, so when we look at somebody with their kit, we get it. Like, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but there's another approach to modeling. And actually, Ken, good to see you here, Ken. Um, one, of a, one of the boot campers, Ken, is asking about trim sheets. Yeah. Um, because that's a, uh, I don't know how to say it, but I mean, it's like, that's not talked about enough, in my opinion. Could you kind of explain that or help us understand that a little bit? Yeah, so, um, sorry, they're really loud. Um, trim sheets are an integral part of all environment art in games, in mm -hmm. mind. Um, you need to know how to make and use them. Um, I say make and use them because it's good to know when you look at a scene what things you can make from trim because then you're saving everywhere when you use, um, because you're using one texture set and it's easy to just sew things together, which is what I did a fair bit here. Um, in so these these guys are technically the you can see where my mouse is going, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so those two are technically trim textures, and I just use those to sew up and finish any of the pillar sections um, and just bring things together where necessary. Mm -hmm. um, and those are really useful because yeah, as I say, they're one texture set, uh, and you can just 
model your geometry and then map to them and it doesn't need to be like super bespoke sculpting or whatever um there are a few other projects that i use them on um so this one especially like all of these sections here all of these sections along here um all of the pieces that run along each other they're all trims almost we're all talking of this... about the the throne room right now yeah 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 um almost all of these sections around here are made with trim as well um mm -hmm. and it just helps you tie a scene together and bring all of the assets together mm -hmm. um in the latest thing i did uh yeah so in here mm. this is the thing i did and it's just broken down into the individual assets and the gray sections all trim um so you can see how I'm sewing together assets and elements of the architecture um, with the trim textures. And it just enables you to create like longer sections as well. So if I was to try and model and then bake these long sections, um, the resolution would be terrible. Uh, so what you can get from trims is more resolution into like larger scale assets and mm. you can just use tie things together some people do entire scenes in just trim sets which is possible if you plan it out right um so it's good to just like look at what it is you're going to make and say what things you can make out of trim and whatnot um because the trim will help you save on resolution as well you'll be able to get like a lot better resolution into meshes with it over baking them um on their own how do you avoid the repetition uh planning and um texturing your trims in a way that doesn't allow for repetition so you need them to be plain um if you add too much textual information into trims they will repeat very obviously mm -hmm. uh, you can do things like um, just use the normal from your trim and then in unreal uh, use masks and other scale tiling textures so that it breaks the repetition okay. so you could have your diffuse set and your roughness set using a different set of tiling textures to your trim um, and have those tiling set differently so that you don't get the same repeat across an object. Um, that's done a fair bit as well. Uh, I think Star Citizen used that as a workflow too. Okay. And is that multiple UV sets or am I misunderstanding that? That would be, yeah. Yeah, that okay. would be. Okay, great. All right. So that those are just the efficiencies within Unreal. Yes. Yeah. I guess I'm not too sure. I, I mean, you'd use it if you were pre-rendering in Maya. Uh, I'm not too sure if you can make that work in Marmoset. Got it. I think you must be able to by now. I'm not sure but, though. But essential, right? Yes, in especially if you're doing, I mean, I would say sci-fi stuff, Gears of War was sci-fi. Um, sci-fi stuff is used a lot. Um, in Gears of War, we used it a lot as well. Um, so uh, in things like this, all of these edge runners mm -hmm. uh, in the War map, these are all trim. Everything's so in this environment up together. All of these sections here, these are all bits of trim. Um, and they're used all the time. In games, like all. Got it. All right. So uh, we got a question in here from Joey. How are you doing? Uh, and uh, Ken, did that get you some question, uh, some answer to your question? Or did you have another one? Make sure you put it in there. Okay. Good. Um, all right. So Floyd's asking, sorry, Joey is asking, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like reading, uh, is asking, uh, when you're looking to hire environment artists, what do you look for in their portfolio? Um, and so if we, you know, I, I don't know, you know, how comfortable you are or what you can say with Axis, but like you can pick anything like if you're at Gears or if you're um, at Axis or anything or just what do you look for in a portfolio? And um, he's saying so artists that recreate concept art or artists that make their own art. Um, at, at, at your stage at this, at the, I'm, I'm assuming that you're coming out of uh, a course, um, you, we are not looking specifically for someone to be making out their own things off of concept in, I mean, not off of concept in right. studio work. We use concepts all the time. Um, it's things go best. If there is a concept, uh, things can get a bit janky here and there if there aren't concepts. So it's always good to have at least a, um, uh, an overarching concept of an area or an idea or something like that. So 
seeing that people can work from concept for us, hiring people is always a plus. Um, seeing you can work from without a concept is awesome too. Um, but I think there's more value in knowing that we knowing that you can make some recreate something faithfully for sure. Is there some um, how do I say this? Um, because concepts can I mean it can be vast. Like we can run into problems with it. And I've run into this with students before, where it's like here's here's the here's the Aztec city. So so <laughs> then it's like okay year of your yeah. Of um, do you think is there some particular way that they should think about framing what they do? You know, because at your stage you can create the the Hindu temple and the mountain in the back and all and the ground plane and all that, but that's a lot for some people. Yes, um, I agree. Uh, so yes, it's good to pick maybe little vignettes of things. Um, it doesn't all, it doesn't need to be the entire concept that you've made. Um, mm -hmm. I, yeah, no one's going to sit there and say, oh, you didn't get that bit there, or you didn't get that bit there. Um, sometimes it might even be just looking at the scene and recreating uh, an element of it or an idea in it um, mm -hmm. and getting that across. Um, and that's not to say that you should strictly always use concepts. Yeah, like I say, sometimes it might be that you see a concept and you say, I want to push this idea that, it, that this concept is giving me. Because sometimes, um, in especially in production, the concept isn't always the word of God. Um, Sometimes it's, it's something more loose uh, and you just need to get across the idea that's being displayed in it. Mm -hmm. um, so picking a section, at the end of the day, you need to finish it, right? You want to get this piece done um, to be able to show it to anyone. So if it's a huge concept, yeah, focus in on an element that you think is really interesting and get that done. Um, but I would say that if you're trying to get a job somewhere, having a, a nicely done asset that's pushed to a high level and having a scene that's pushed to a high level, whether it be big or small, it doesn't really matter. Um, getting both of those things done so that you can see that you understand the fundamentals of world building and composition uh, and all of those things, maybe a little, yeah, a little bit of lighting, um, all of those things that finish a scene, no matter how big it is, just understanding that you know how to do that is good for us. Is it more important for somebody to dive deep, maybe a spite off a smaller chunk, but really make something polished or is it more important to show that you know you can handle a bigger scene if but maybe not have everything is developed i think finding the place in between those two is always best okay um you don't need to go this this why it's nice to have like a single asset that's pushed all the way somewhere in mm -hmm. your portfolio do that spend as long as you would spend on an entire scene on a single asset make that look cool but when it comes to like making the scene a lot of a lot of what you're trying to um bring across in the image can be done in composition and lighting and materials and stuff. Sometimes it doesn't need to be super dense with assets and things like that. So yeah, finding the place in between the two, those two that you mentioned is probably the best. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. Joey, does that answer your question? Um, and this is a great time guys. Um, got questions, answer them. And then uh, Floyd mentioned, Floyd, you're cool looking at a couple of people, students work. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and we don't have a ton of, time with Floyd so make sure that if you guys are going to do that you get yourselves ready for when I ask get your questions going um what do you love about this job Floyd um ah oh, uh everything man um I, I love waking up in the morning and thinking about how I'm going to do the thing that I need to do that day and not like thinking about it with dread um yeah. <laughs> uh like I'll come home and I'll sit there and think about how I'm going to push whatever it is that I left that night um which I enjoy. Um, I like that, yeah, you can, you can, it depends, I suppose, massively on where you're working, but a lot of the places, uh, most of the places that I've worked, except maybe one, you've always had the ability to train on the job for things. Um, 
so no one will just like throw you in at the deep end on something um if the training time to be able to work out how to do something then that will be given to me someone will always know how to do it um and then you can learn from them everyone really wants to share as well that's what i love um you can speak to someone like there's moving into cinematics there's so many disciplines that i didn't even know exist um and everyone in those disciplines when i've had to work on something with them or whatever has been so willing to share because I, it's art at the end of the day right and everyone in an in an art perspective wants to share what it is that they do it can be i, I mean I, I hate it when my girlfriend looks at pictures that i'm drawing before they're finished it freaks me out but mm. if I, if i'm if i'm sat uh next to someone at work and i'm not sure how it is that i need to finish this thing um we're all happy to just talk to each other about how it is to push that image and get the final result that's what i love the most it's just the collaborative nature of everything mm, that makes a lot of sense and and i think that that's probably an important thing to remember because it's easy when you're on your own to get isolated and feel like i gotta do everything yeah and yeah they they are judged on how they can basically everything that they did by themselves yeah um yeah i suppose it's where that's where it makes it it makes it hard uh when you're trying to when you're trying to make a portfolio to to get a job mm -hmm. but the the main thing i would say is to just always talk and show your work to other people and get their perspective on things um mm -hmm. every time that i'm at like 85 percent, 80 percent, 90 percent on something i'll bite the bullet and ask everyone at work that will listen what do you think of this and how do you think i could push it um and I'll be honest with people, if I'm in like the last 10% and I'm, I, I don't have enough in me to go back and like remodel things, I'll say, <laughs> how can I push this outside of that, right? And they'll, yeah. give you, they'll give you all of the things that they see wrong with the image and yeah. you can pull however much of that or how, not however much of that that you want into the image. But it's good to, um, and it's good to hear what other people say, because even if you don't do it that time, the next time you can think about it. Um, so just always be talking to people about your artwork and it will make you feel less isolated. Try not to be so precious about it as well. Um, and that will come after years and years of having people work. Uh, I know it's probably hard at the start, but try not to be so precious about what it is that you've made. I know it's your baby and you love it, right? But um, someone will see something that you can do to make it better. And at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to do is to make a better image. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, that's a really good point. Alistair has got a question. Uh, okay. He says, um, if you if you uh, receive an application from someone who has not had formal training in 3D modeling, and by that he means degree, and we were talking about this earlier, mm -hmm. um, but it's coming from another field like photography, yeah. um, would you be doing, uh, what kind of probing would you be doing with them in the interview in terms of understanding where they are? So what he's asking is, is you know, I don't have a degree, but um, what kind of questions does somebody get asked or what kind of things do they have to prove in an interview or in, in the beginning of the job mm -hmm. to show that they can do? Um, I've, if I'm in, in all of my hiring process years, I have never looked at someone's formal qualification. Yes. Um, it's mostly, and I would say it's all down to the artwork and you as a person. Yeah. Uh, we can look, especially at, at your position, there's, we have to understand that you've never worked in a studio before, right? Um, and working in a classroom or on in group projects is very different to working in. Uh, and I'm not saying it's not, it's not useful, but it, it doesn't, that doesn't translate um, really, I would say, into, into a studio situation. So we're looking at that stage at, at you as a person and just making sure that you're sound and you seem like, um, one, you'd be able to take critique and not freak out, and two, you have a real thirst for what it is that you're doing, and mm -hmm. then also the quality of work that you have. Um, so I've never seen, personally, I've never seen that someone's not gone to university and then had questions 
to probe into things that would be different about them from someone who has gone to university. I'm not quite sure even what would be different uh, if the artwork that you're producing is of a good enough quality. Right. That's a good point. That's great. All right. Thank you so much. That's awesome. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. Floyd, man, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure to meet and, um, and have a conversation with you. I really appreciate the time. No worries, man. Thank you for that. I hope, yeah, I hope that was good enough. <laughs> that was awesome. That was great. You know, and every bit helps here. So um, Thomas is sending you a note right there. All right. Well, I think that's about everything. That's everything I've seen. So uh, again, thank you, Floyd, so much, man. Thank you. I really appreciate that. No worries. Yeah. Thank you for giving me a shout for this. It was a good time. Good fun. Absolutely. All right. Take care, guys. Take care, Floyd. Okay, perfect. See you all later. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.